Our epistle lesson this morning is found in Romans 12, reading verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do give you thanks this morning that you do speak to us, that you've gathered us around your word this morning into your throne room to receive your word. We ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in this portion of your scriptures. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. In 2009, arguably one of the best American athletes of all time was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Now, those of you who are familiar with basketball, and even those of you who are not familiar with basketball probably know who I'm talking about. It's the great Michael Jordan. On that day in September 2009, Jordan walked up on stage, tears rolling down his face, and the crowd expected a a charismatic speech filled with humility, gratitude, and sentimentality. But as Jordan opened his mouth, the world was quickly brought back to reality. Instead of a humble speech filled with thankful platitudes, Jordan's speech was prickly. It was actually filled with lots of criticism of his doubters throughout the years. He berated his high school coach who chose Leroy Smith over him him for the varsity team his sophomore year of high school. He took jabs at his college roommate, Buzz Peterson, and his college basketball coach at the University of North Carolina. He blasted other players and saved some of his most scathing critiques for the Bulls' general manager, Jerry Krause. He even found a way to embarrass his sons, saying that he felt sorry for them because of the tall shadow that they had to live under. It was very clear what he was doing. He was accepting this honor but he was also exalting himself. And while Michael Jordan's speech was a uniquely excessive moment in Basketball Hall of Fame history, it reveals our capacity of self-exaltation. People have the unique capability, the unique capacity to think more highly of ourselves than is necessary. And y'all, this isn't just for the rich and famous. It's not just for the exceptional athletes. We're all prone to an inflated sense of ourselves, exaggerating our own position in this world. We use our accomplishments and our accolades, our talents and our treasures to feel superior to others. And not only that, we prize others who do the same. We celebrate those who are prideful, those who exalt themselves. We live in a society that celebrates pride and empowers you 
to self-exaltation and to pride. And y'all, that was the original sin in the garden. Adam and Eve not only desiring to know good and evil, but to define good and evil, exalting themselves to the place of God. And that's been humanity's plight since the very beginning, exalting ourselves. But we've learned throughout the book of Romans that God's in the business of reversing the fall, that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, God is transforming us by rolling back the effects of our rebellion. And that transformation has practical implications for the everyday Christian life. And that's what Paul's spelling out over these chapters. So what we see in Romans 12, three through eight, is that gospel transformation includes humility. What Paul calls a sober judgment about ourselves. Another way to say that is right thinking about ourselves. It's not just a sober judgment about the world or about others, but a sober judgment about ourselves and our place in the world. The renewal of our minds is God rolling back the effects of our pride and working in us humility. So this morning in Romans 12, three through eight, we're gonna look at three aspects of humility. We're gonna take a look at humility's source, humility's context and humility's response. And so first we see humility's source. Look with me at verse three, it says, for the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul says that the source of humility is this measure of faith. Now, at first glance, Paul seems to be saying that there are some people who have lots of faith, and there are some people who have just a little bit of faith, and that those with lots of faith are super humble, and those with just a little bit of faith or weak faith are usually more prideful. But the word measure is more akin to a standard of measurement rather than the actual amount measured. And so rather than basing humility in our subjective experience of faith, which if we're all honest, is it, it, that shifts over time it waxes and wanes with different seasons of life. Rather than basing humility in our subjective experience, Paul bases the source of our humility in the standard of faith or the objective truths of the gospel. And that's what he's been laying out over the last 11 chapters. We find in chapters one through three that whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and we are all justly deserving of God's wrath and judgment. And then in chapters four through five, we learn that God saves us, not by our works, but because of the righteous works of Jesus on the cross. And by faith, he gives us the righteousness of Christ as a gift of his grace. He makes us right with him. And in chapters six through eight, we see that, Christ, that in Christ, We've been set free from the guilt and the power of sin. And while continuing to struggle with remaining sin, we're empowered to live according to the Spirit. 
And then in chapters 9 through 11, we learn that in Christ, God has made good on his promise to redeem a people for himself, all for his own glory. Now, this is the source of humility. These truths are the source of humility because you realize what you have received has been accomplished for you. It's not been accomplished by you. It's not your accomplishment. It's Jesus's accomplishment on your behalf. But that doesn't remove the struggle, does it? Because the struggle of the Christian life is to stop judging ourselves according to these lesser standards, but to give ourselves to this proper standard. It's to stop judging ourselves according to the pictures on Instagram or the amount of likes that we receive on a Facebook post. It's to stop giving credence to the Magnolia Journal and to the life of Chip and Joanna Gaines, however wonderful they are. We're not to judge our lives according to them. It's not to, it's to stop giving authority to our bank accounts or to our kids or to our accomplishments. Stop giving authority to those things to tell us that we're valuable in this world. But rather, we are to take a good, long look at the gospel. We are to take a good, long look at Jesus and see what all he has done for us in redeeming us out of our sin. We are to focus on the truths found in scripture that have been handed down to us from generation to generation to generation. Those truths that never change because God never changes. So the source of our humility is the gospel. It humbles you because you recognize that we are all equally deserving of God's wrath, yet by faith in Jesus, we are equal recipients of God's mercy. And so humility's source is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then secondly, we see humility's context. Follow with me in verses four and five. He says this, for as in one body we have many members, and the, many, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Paul here uses the body metaphor to describe the context of humility, and that context is the church. This is a fairly easy metaphor to, to follow. Just as a, a body has many parts, it has many pieces, and it's all joined together and it functions as a whole, but each part and piece has a different function, so the church has many parts and it has many pieces, many people joined together in Jesus. And what this means is that just as the body is dependent on other pieces of the body, to survive, we too are dependent on one another. We are dependent on each other for the flourishing of our spiritual lives. In this context, in the body of Christ, you can't live a humble Christian life, a life transformed by the renewing of your mind without each other. You just can't do it. God doesn't save you in a vacuum. He doesn't place you on an island all by yourself. He doesn't let you live there in relative peace for the rest of your days as if it's just you and Jesus on this island in the Pacific. That would be really nice. 
But that's not what God does for us. Instead, he constitutes a people for himself. And in redeeming you out of the Egypt of your own sin, he plops you right down in the midst of that people. He gives each of us to each other to belong to one another. Paul says that we are individually members one of another. Your spiritual life, your humility before God and before each other is recognizing that dependence, recognizing your dependence on each other within this larger context of the body of Christ. I heard a description of a rowing team the other day that helped me understand this as well. In the boat, the the front two set the pace. They keep the cadence for the rest of the boat. And then the middle four, they're the workhorses. They are the engine of the, row, of the rowing team. They create most of the power. And then the last two, they're like the rudders. They keep the, the boat straight. They p- keep the boat going straight and keep it from falling over. And friends, the church is similar to a rowing team. Each one of us is part, has a part to play in this drama of God's kingdom and But each one of us is dependent on each other, just like those members in that rowing team are dependent on everyone else to do their job. I too am dependent on you. We are dependent on one another, and that's the context in which God places us when he saves us, context of the church. And so we've looked at humility's source, the truth of the gospel, We must evaluate ourselves by that standard, not by any other standard. We've also been given humility's context. God's placed us within the body of Christ in order to depend on one another, to help us realize our need for one another. And then lastly, humility's response. Follow with me in verses six through eight. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You see, humility involves employing your gifts for the blessing of others as a grateful response for what God has first done for you. As, you've, as you're enamored with the source of humility, you then begin to respond, utilizing your gifts. It's the result, the overflow of humility. When God saves you, when he offers you his grace, when he gives you his unmerited favor, he also gives you gifts. And these gifts allow us to play that part, that particular function that God has designed us to play in his church. Now this list of gifts, gifts here is, is it's not an exhaustive list. There's other lists in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. Those add to and take away from this list as well. But this list seems to be more of a sampling of gifts. It can be divided into two basic categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. Now, if you're anything like me, 
You grew up thinking that spiritual gifts are those particular talents that characterize professional Christians, right? We think of preaching and teaching when we think of gifts. We think of evangelism, seeing lots of people come to Jesus. We think of church leadership. We think of prayer. We even have a closet in our house that's designated for that. We think of prophecy and tongues, but we don't really know what to do with those. But we generally think of these gifts being reserved for the professionals. But that's not at all how the Bible presents it. That's not at all how Paul presents it here in Romans 12. It says that we've all received these gifts, and these gifts are different. They differ according to the grace that's been given to us. So spiritual gifts aren't reserved for professional Christians. They're given to all of us, to each one of us. We all have something that we are good at that can be a blessing to the church. We all have a talent, a gift that God has given to us by his grace that can be a blessing to someone else in the church. You know, what's important to note about this list is that it's not simply a bullet point. It's not as if Paul is just throwing possible options at you. But each of these specific gifts, he attaches a phrase about how it's supposed to be used. This is Paul's way of encouraging the church to actually employ their gifts, to actually offer them for the needs of others. So just as you are needy, right, you're ne- we, we discover our need within the context of, of the church, we also discover that we are needed, that each one of us is needed for the proper functioning of the church. Because humility doesn't neglect gifts. It doesn't think somehow that we are lowly and useless. Humility honestly reflects on the things that God has made you good at. Those talents, those gifts that God has given you. And it empowers you to faithfully employ them, to strengthen the church. Y'all, your gifts are vital They're a vital contribution to the life of the church because God, in his infinite wisdom, designed us to function properly when we're functioning together. And so a humble response recognizes that you are needed and it employs your gifts accordingly. I'll close with this. Uh, You know, as I was so pridefully critiquing Michael Jordan's speech earlier, I do have to recognize that he's not all bad. He is remarkably incredible. He's an, an incredible basketball player. He changed the game. He was, he's a unique athlete in human history. But even he needed other people to surround him. To become the Michael Jordan of legend He needed Scottie Pippen. In his speech, he actually does reserve a few thank yous. It wasn't all brisk, uh, it wasn't all uh, angry tirades. It wasn't all criticism. He does reserve kind words for his teammates. He says good things about 
uh, Tony Kukoc and Steve Kerr and Charles Oakley and Dennis Rodman. He has nice things to say about Scottie Pippen and especially his coach, Phil Jackson. He expresses a, a heartfelt, genuine gratitude for them. And in the documentary, The Last Dance, he actually says this, whenever anybody speaks the name Michael Jordan, they should also speak Scottie Pippen. I consider him my best teammate of all time. So while he acknowledges their importance, he acknowledges their value to his career, the problem is also that he's still judging himself based on his own accomplishments. And friends, in God's economy, he doesn't allow us to do that. He doesn't allow us to base our value and our worth on our own accomplishments. Instead, you judge yourself according to the standard of the gospel, the source of humility. And when you do, you discover that you deserve God's judgment. But by faith in Jesus, you've received God's unmerited mercies. And you engage the church this context of humility, recognizing and discovering your need for other Christians in order to, t to have a vibrant spiritual life. And then lastly, in grateful response, you employ your gifts for the blessing of others. And so, employ your gifts. Take a good long look at Jesus. Find yourself humbled, look at each other, and find that you're needy, and employ your gifts and find that you're needed. Let's pray. Mighty God, we do give you thanks that in your infinite mercies, you have saved us in Jesus. Also give you thanks that you've not left us alone to do this life alone, but that you've given us each other, joined us to a body, joined us to your church in Jesus. We ask you, Lord, would you empower us to offer our lives as living sacrifices to you and for one another. We ask in Jesus' name.